Hi, my name is Alex Pernan. I'm the CEO of Star Royalties and Green Star Royalties. Star Royalties is a precious metals and carbon credit royalty company. Our carbon credit business is called Green Star Royalties. It's been our main focus for the last couple of years now. I'm happy to say that we progressively built Green Star into a joint venture between three groups. Star Royalties, the parent company, Agnico Legal Mines, which is a $40 billion uh, gold mining giant. And as recently as last month, Synovus Energy, which is a $40 billion energy company. Um, well, w welcome to you. Um, and Alex, thanks, thanks for joining us. And we've also got Kevin there uh, as well. But I've got to initially, if you don't mind, Alex, sort of direct questions at you. Because I think people, the, the questions I send in are around the, the, the green components, the green star royalties. Uh, so I'll start with this. Green. Do you feel you just jumped on a bandwagon? You've, you kind of missed the boat because the, the market seems to have gone away. People are focused on making money or not losing money. Is green the theme anymore? Uh, yes, Matt, it absolutely is. And this is a long-term thematic. So when we started Star Royalties, we had a green component to it. But what we realized was that, one, we were seeing many more opportunities on the green side. And this is all very much the case as of now. Two, the returns were much more attractive on the green side. And on the precious metal royalty space, you would target a 6 to 10% after-tax return. Here, we're looking at 20 to 40% after-tax return. So we're dealing with more opportunities better returns, uh, higher quality counterparties for the size of a business that we are, uh, arguably no competition in the precious metal royalty space. There are many groups that are doing this and what we do in the carbon space, there's nobody doing that. And even to this day, arguably more interest from our, from our shareholders on Green Start. So uh, I think we're doing absolutely the right thing. And I think that's proven itself out with the, uh, the recent strategic investment that we announced with Sonovus Energy, which we'll talk about later on. Matt, I think the the comment here is more on carbon pricing. When people talk about weakness in carbon, it's really about carbon pricing. And we should talk about that because a couple of years ago when we spoke, carbon was arguably all the rage. Everybody was talking about carbon credits, carbon markets, net zero goals. And that's still the case. It's just people aren't really talking about it. We've gone from arguably green washing to green hushing, which is doing things and just not talking about it. So when we talk about market weakness, there are a couple of reasons. The first one, obviously, is that the last year has been relatively challenging, volatile, uncertain market conditions. So companies will logically prioritize profitability and margins over, say, their near-term net zero goals. Understandable. Uh, there have been complexities in the carbon space. It's a relatively new market. It's been around for 20 years, but you know it's still developing up because it's going to be here for multi-decades. Uh, so there are different considerations with Article 6.2 and 6.4. There was something called COP28 a couple of months ago. So there are a lot of moving parts in developing this carbon market, and that's still happening. Uh, the other thing that's happened has been media scrutiny. Right? There has been some negative uh, news flow on carbon, specifically on, on, on carbon projects in particular geographies of particular types, completely irrelevant to what we're doing. But here's the reality, Matt. The projects that we're involved with, those project credit prices have been flat or gone up in that time period. And there's been serious flights to quality. When everybody talks about buying offsets, it's all about buying them in the back from the best types of projects, generating the most additional benefit. And uh, and I think it's proven out because if you look at that carbon market, December was a record year for retirements. So there's a disconnect between what people are seeing and what's actually happening. Well, I think, well, I also think there's a lack of, um, not, not just lack of understanding, but I, I think there's a lack of interest in it because people want to hear companies like you talk about how do you make money? Don't, as you say, don't greenwash it for me. Don't, don't, don't make it, you know, 
sweet on the outside. I don't know what's happening on the inside. So in terms of a company your size, you've got a few things going on which I'm confused about, which is obviously you've got uh, star royalties. We, we talked about mining. You've got Agnico in, in, in there. Um, and Kevin, I'm sure you'll talk about it in a bit. And then we've kind of got this kind of green story as well. So lots of conversation about one of you two gets spun out. What makes the most sense? So what, what is the plan? Have you got one? We, we absolutely absolutely do. And we've been executing on that plan, I think, pretty much on the, on the dot for the last few years. So if we take a step back, if we think about how Star Royalties came to be. Star, at the beginning, since day one, had a capital allocation strategy that was 80% precious metals, 20% green. And when we started off with that capital allocation strategy, that led to the first carbon credit royalty ever. We did that about four years ago, and that was a small part of our portfolio. But like I said, for all the reasons we talked about earlier, the the gain in interest, the returns, the the opportunities, the pipeline, we figured we're going to move away from that 80-20 structure because the reality is we're going to lose our first mover advantage. We're not going to be able to build up the mining business as quickly to get the green business up and running. So that led to the spin out of green star royalties which at that time this would have been in late 2021 was a standalone wholly owned subsidiary of star where the green business was housed hence green star royalties well green star then turned into a joint venture between star and ignico that happened in 2022 which itself was a major endorsement to have a company like ignico come in and, and jointly run green star and then we did the exact same thing last month where we've expanded that joint venture to not include Sinovus. And like I said, we'll talk about that later on. But the point is the green business has always been the plan, has been getting built up over the last couple of years. Now, what do we do going forward? I'm kind of putting the carpet before the horse because we have to talk more about GreenStar, but GreenStar will eventually go public. That's always been the plan. We need access to capital and typically public capital is lower cost capital. How would we do something like that? Well, GreenStar could go through an IPO process, just like Star did three years ago. We've got the experience. We've done an IPO before. We could IPO GreenStar again. Uh, or a potential alternative for us to figure out is, could there possibility be a scenario where we would have uh, we would have GreenStar and Star come back together? It's a bit of a full circle story, but could we maybe see an opportunity where Star and GreenStar come together in the form of an RTO. Of course, in a scenario like that, the mining portfolio would be divested so that really it's just one clean GreenStar business. And um, I think there's a good possibility that something like that could play out. Of course, with the right timing, for the right valuation of the mining portfolio, and Kevin can speak to that, uh, but that's exactly how GreenStar would be a public company in the future. That last scenario, interestingly, it was, it was actually the next question. So um, I'm, I'm glad that's on the table. Um, what's the time frame for making these decisions? Is it market-led? It is always market-led, as, as any business is, but uh, things are moving, I'd say, relatively quickly. Everything is in progress. We've been thinking about capital raising for GreenStar for the last year plus. Uh, the process with Synovus uh, was a good part of last year because it was a complicated but, but serious partnership, and we had to make sure that that worked for everybody involved. So we spent most of last year working on that. In that process, in parallel, we've been thinking about, well, what's the next step? How do we raise additional capital? How do we start executing on the pipeline for GreenStar? How do we get GreenStar public eventually? So it's something that's in the works. Uh, I don't think putting a date to it is necessarily helpful, but we're always moving fairly quickly. So I think in, in a year's time from now, this is all materializing. Um, all these conversations are happening in the background. Uh, there's a value disconnect that we obviously have to highlight today. Uh, and we're we're in the process of erasing that. Okay, so if I if I look at um, and we've 
I guess we're, we're, it's going to be hard to kind of separate these issues. But obviously, Sonova's coming in um, recently. It, it obviously helped the share price, gained a little bit of attention. But it's, you know, who are they? You know, why is that a big deal? Uh, look, it's a big deal because it's essentially a Nico Legal 2.0 in the form of a transaction. Uh, very excited about this partnership. Like I said, we spent most of last year establishing it. So what actually happened? We had Synovus Energy come in for just over $21 million to buy 26% of Greenstar. Agnico and Synovus now each own 26% of Greenstar. We own the other half of it. That's important for a couple of reasons. The first one is a valuation perspective, which is exactly what you're talking about, Matt. Doing that deal with Synovus values Greenstar at about $82 million because Star owns about half of that. Star owns $37.5 million of Greenstar which is 60% more than our market cap right now. So on Greenstar alone, if you put the mining business aside, on Greenstar alone, there's 60% upside from our share price to get to what we truly own in Greenstar as per that valuation marker. I think that's a major, major point to talk about. The other point is, of course, just operating the business all together with Agnico and with Synovus. Uh, it's a major endorsement with Synovus coming in, massive natural resources company here in Canada, senior oil and gas company, ESG leader in their sector. They're basically the Agnico legal in their sector is how I think of them. Uh, we jointly run their business. We can co-invest all together with Agnico, with Synovus in the future. And that's going to be very important in the future because we can access larger transactions and have the, the security, the de-risking of having partners like that alongside us and our future royalties. Um, so th that's why it's so important having uh, having Agnico and Synovus two major endorsements back to back. It's something we're extremely proud of. Right. So let's let's just get into it with with regards to that valuation. Okay. You you see, eighty million sounds quite nice compared to twenty five million today, and you know, under twenty million, you know, a few weeks ago. So how is that? Is that have they literally stumped up twenty one point two million bucks day one, and that cash is sitting there ready to be deployed? Or are the conditions precedent? $21 million in the bank account as of last month. Okay. Okay. I, I, I can understand that. Where's that put you in terms, of, in terms of total cash? For Greenstar, we're at about $20 million US. So I apologize. I'm going to be jumping back and forth. That's $21 million Canadian investment because it's a Canadian share price. But all of our financials are in US dollars. So we're at about $20 million US at Greenstar. Okay. So you're valued at cash at the moment. What, what is, what, why? Well, that's the value disconnect. So I can start on it and then Kevin can jump in. But if we just think about breaking down the value, there are two parts of this business. For Star right now, until we're in the process of cleaning it up and making it one business. The first part of the business is the mining portfolio. And the mining portfolio has a book value of about $23 million US. Call it in that range. Call it 30 Canadian. Is, is, is the book value of mining. Not necessarily what it's worth, but it's it's been valued at 30 million Canadian. So in share price, because I think about it in share price, it's about 40 cents a share of star royalties, right? Much higher than where we trade at right now at about 30 cents. On top of that, we own $37.5 million of green star, which is about half of green star. That's another 50 cents a share. So if you just took the two separate book values of our mining business, and our green star equity block, that's 40 plus 50 cents. That's 90 cents in tangible value where we trade at 30 cents right now. So it could be three times more valuable to be in line with that. And you could argue, look, let's take haircuts on, on certain valuations. You could take a haircut on the, on the mining portfolio. If you so choose, you can say it's worth half of that or 75% of that, which of course we disagree, but you could say that still a major re-rating opportunity. You could take a haircut on the on the uh, the Green Star block. I don't think you should. Obviously, there was a discount considered in the valuation of Green Star when when Sonovas came in. 
part of those capital rates. Uh, but you could even argue that, and there's still significant upside. That, that's the value disconnect that we're talking about. Right, but people are also only care you value what people will, will you value at whatever people will pay actual cash, not not you know sitting and chatting and chatting about. It. So to, on the Sonovas thing, so what what precisely are they buying into? They're giving you some cash, which will free you up, um, and also gives you optionality in terms of types of deals that you do. So tell me what are their expectations because they're the most recent party. You know, and how do you deliver against that? Right. So I would say that the the rationale for an investment of their size by a group like them is quite similar to Ignico, and I would imagine it's quite similar to any future investor as we look at capital raises or Greenstar, right? And and what is that? Well, that's obviously the business model. I mean, being a royalty company, we're benefiting from the strength of a royalty model, which is excellent in the mining space. It's arguably the best way to play the mining space, at least in our view. Uh, we're talking about the the portfolio to what we actually own in Green Star right now, which is predominantly this regenerative agriculture investment. We have forestry investments, we have clean tech investments as well. We could talk more about that, but there's a portfolio that they're purchasing. There is the pipeline that they are purchasing. Realistically, they're not paying for this pipeline. That's something that we're going to execute on, but that's significant upside because like every other deal where we can recognize value accretion, that's the, the benefit of them as a shareholder and any other future shareholder. And then there's a team. We have a world-class team that I'm extremely proud of, of which some of us are on this call, but we have a technical team as well that really is ahead of, of everybody else, in my personal opinion. So really, that's that's what they're buying into. Agnico and Synovus, if I could speak on their behalf, bought into Greenstar, not because Greenstar is an $80 million company today. It's because of what it's going to be in the future. These are groups that make investments with multi-decade lenses. They're thinking about long-term strategy for themselves, for us as well. There's a need for these carbon credit opportunities over the next 20 or 30 years because all of these companies have net zero goals for 2050. So they're thinking about this. How does this work over such a long period of time? And you know, this is the horse that uh, they're looking to back, which I'm which I'm thrilled about. Okay, so again, you're gonna have to help people watching this understand this. So, so someone's come along and um, given you some money. It's in your bank account which suggests to you, you should be valued very differently from where the market is valuing you at the moment. And obviously you have that nice little reaction in the marketplace, but it's still some three times, nearly four times less than that deal suggests you should be valued at, okay? So are people looking at this and going, I don't understand how you guys make money. I am worried that you're gonna spend that money and not create value. You're not going to get me one times return, let alone two, three, four, five times return. So can you spend a bit of time just on the types of products and the, and the way that you measure them and the way that you value those or the way that you think the market should value those? Because that that seems to be the hard bit of things that people are trying to get over and try, trying to understand. Absolutely bad. So I'll, I'll start on that and then I'll pass it on to Kevin as well. On the first point in terms of, of what they're buying into, maybe I can speak on, on valuation because I think this is actually quite helpful, especially with my background. This is how I think through things. In the mining world, I'll speak about the, the more senior royalty companies. We'll look at senior royalty companies and we'll measure them with a net asset value or a net present value, NAV or NPV. 5% discount. And usually there's a multiple to that NPV5. And for a large established royalty company, which is obviously much larger than what we are, you would see a Franco Nevada or Wheat Precious Metals. They would trade at one and a half, two times NAV5. In our case, when we're looking at valuation, we're looking at it at a NAV10 basis. So significantly higher discount rate, inherent risk built into it. And we'll look at it at a discount below one. 
So instead of it being nav five to two times, it would be nav 10.7 times. So that's how we would value the business. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at cash flows from our existing portfolio. The point that you made, Matt, I think is the more relevant one in terms of the former point where the value disconnect, I think is partly explained because of the, the difference in business models. They're both royalty models, but you have investors that are coming in from the mining side that appreciate the mining side and don't understand or know how to value the green side, which is understandable. It's a new and fairly complex market, even though it's actually quite similar to mining. And then we also have the flip side where we have investors on the green side that are very in, in favor and, and keen to see what we're doing on the green side, but don't at all understand or care for the mining business. So I think that's part of the reason why there's a value disconnect. Of course, the mining portfolio and, and operational issues drives part of that answer too. And I'm not sure if Kevin, if you'd want to add more in terms of the value disconnect. Before we go on to Kevin, before we go on to Kevin, I think, again, I, I really want people to get this and I'm just saying, give you a fair hearing as, as it were, okay? So I think most royalty company, junior royalty companies, are, are, they wish they could be at 0.7, right? Um, on the NAB. So, you know, it's, it, it, everyone's kind of suffering suffering here. So, you know, I think you're in, in, the, you're in the same boat as it were. Talk to, again, I just want to be clear about the products. In terms of how do the products that you offer and services that you sell, they're valuable to someone. They're going to pay you money for that, right? Because again, there's a, there's a lot of conversation going around. It's just they, 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 this kind of green stuff. It's just all made up, and we've got a carbon capture. It would happen anyway. We've got carbon storage. I mean, what the hell the heck is that? Do you know? It's there's a real lack of understanding about the value of those things to companies that you sell to. Um, so again, can you explain why would why do big companies want to own? some of the products and services which, which you have. Understood, Matt. Thank you. So well, the reality is these companies have net zero goals. We could argue why or how they come to be, but they have net zero goals. That's the reality. How do they achieve that net zero goal? Well, ideally, most, if not eventually, all of it will be through internal decarbonization, right? Whether that's electrification, renewable power, biofuels, but they're going to have different steps in place over the next 30 years. And realistically, it'll take more than 30 years to hit that. Part of the part of the mechanism, or another way to say it, one of the tools in the green toolbox is using carbon offsets. This is something that companies do. They've been doing this for a long time and they'll continue to do it because you can only abate so much of your carbon footprint, right? If you have a million ton of your footprint, ideally you're going to target uh, 800,000 to remove over time, but you get another 200,000 it might be either hard or impossible to abate. So you will rely on high quality, high integrity carbon credits that are ideally generated in your vicinity, in your background, where you operate. That's what attracted in a, in a Gnico and in a Synovus in the first place, because they have the opportunity to not buy co uh, carbon credits, but, but co-invest and originate them with us in their areas of, uh, of operation in Canada and the U.S., that's a huge selling feature for, for a large emitter. So that's what we're offering. In terms of the quality of these credits, I like to think of it in terms of car analogies. You have all sorts of cars on the roads and you have a lot of Honda Civics and, and Twingos driving around. We're in the business of funding the S-classes and that's what companies are looking to buy. They're trying to buy S-class carbon credits and there are very few out there and we're in the business of funding those into existence. Fantastic. And again, it's, again, it's so, so to be so pedantic here, but 
the the value which those companies attribute to that how do they determine because these these are targets which they set internally these are targets which may be set by industry and then maybe targets which are set by uh, province or state in wherever they they op operate right but whatever they've they're they're aiming for a, a a target how do they put a dollar number on that how do they determine how much they should pay you for your s-class solution versus picking up cheap stuff around the corner right so that can be a complicated one just because it depends on what they're being regulated by if let's say they are a large heavy emitter here in canada steel producer energy company whatnot uh, they're usually mandated by the federal or provincial governments here and here we have a carbon price where they either pay that or buy an offset in place of paying that carbon tax and that carbon tax increases every single year, right? We're at $65 a ton, it was $80 a ton in uh, in April of this year, and it progressively climbs to $170 a ton by the end of the year. So in a situation like that, under Canada's compliance system, under Europe, where you have a very, very large compliance system, under the aviation industry's own compliance system, which is called Corsia, there you have specific government-type regulations for, uh, for the emitters, and that's what really drives those prices. In terms of everybody else, all the companies that we're familiar with that have net zero goals, the Microsofts, the UPSs, the Netflixes of the world, well, there they're not necessarily mandated by government, but you could argue that they're being mandated by their shareholders, especially a couple of years ago. And, and we're starting to see that reemerge in terms of a, of a requirement that ultimately leads to lower cost of capital. So that's why a lot of these groups actually care about this kind of stuff. Um, and sorry to go over old grounds, um, but uh, I think while we're sticking to the valuation stuff, I mean, Kevin might want to jump in here. This, on, on, in terms of the mining royalties that you've got, again, I don't think much is getting credit in your portfolio at the moment. I mean, how, how do you value those? And if you did, if you did go for the last option, um, you know that that Alex talked about, which is perhaps, you know, you guys come together and you you uh, you, you you kind of monetize them in some way. Do, how much do you think you'd get for them? I mean, and how do you go about valuing that? Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to just start by saying I think that Star Royalties falls into the bucket in investors' minds of being a company that's still very dependent on the equity markets for funding, as opposed to where's the money that you're generating yourself. And on the greed side, that's coming. Uh, we actually don't need money on either side. We could actually sit where we are right now and just patiently wait for carbon credit revenue to come in and, and just grow the portfolio more slowly. We'd like to grow it faster. So we're doing a follow-on raise to the Sonovas investment and hopefully we'll be able to grow through our pipeline much faster on the green side. But the market's still saying, are you guys going to raise money here and do another mining royalty investment? We're not. Okay, well, clearly we're not. In terms of the portfolio that we have on the mining side, the market's looking at it saying, we've got two key precious metals assets, both of which are underperforming, either the development timeline or the mine plant execution. And that's a fair criticism that's happened. But when you look at the, uh, the valuation of the assets, how we look at them internally, which is a whole different subject to what the markets came to look at. Um, we invested, like right now, we've got about 9 million US invested in Copperstone because we took 4.5 million Canadian out of that investment by restructuring it. Um, that, that 9 million uh, investment has added about 3,000 payable ounces to us in expiration additions since we bought the royalty or the stream. So that's 6 million bucks. So we put $9 million in net We've got $6 million of additional gold payable to us at some point in the future just by sitting and waiting for the drills to turn. On the Gold Mountain situation, 
we've invested about uh, 10 million US. And since we made that investment, we've had about 4,000 payable ounces of gold discovered that we think will eventually get into the mine plan to our account. So that's $8 million. So we put in 10, we got another eight added. It's deferred, it's, you can discount it wherever you want. But the purpose of those streams and royalties as always in this business is not to just simply invest like a lender and get your money back as the mine operates its reserves. It's to get that mine life extension that comes. So internally, the value of these assets has gone up substantially since we bought them, even though there's been clear disappointment on the timeline to development and the timeline to cheat my planet cold mountain. So you would have what you will. But if we were in the process of divesting these assets at some point in the future to streamline that business into clearly green focused, the counterparties to those discussions will be coming in and looking at our, our gold inventory. Because as you know, it's quite common for royalty companies to buy assets which appear to be, let's say, stranded. There's no clear plan. There's no permitting. There's no order. They're just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And in a situation like that, you'll do a back of the envelope calculation. You'll say, well, what could this mine produce if it was in production? And you do that math and you say, well, let's give it five years to happen. And you, you start doing the math on that and you come up with a value. And whatever that value is for our assets, it's not zero. Okay, it's not zero. And in fact, it's actually above our book value. So I'll tell you right now, Alan said our book value is 23 US at say a 7% discount rate. Uh, our, our internal value for those assets is higher than what we paid for. So is the market going to agree with this? Probably not. Uh, I don't think we'll get much recognition for the value of the money portfolio until a couple of things happen. Either um, Sabre Gold's development plans get clarified somehow, either internally or through acquisition. And I would say the same for Gold Mountain. Either their mine plan execution gets clarified somehow, either by recapitalizing themselves or being acquired. Uh, one of those two things could, could turn the market's view of value around. But in the absence of those, uh, we're happy to let them incubate. We're assisting both companies to advance as best we can. You're probably aware that we have a lot of success in 2023 with Sabre Gold in particular. We engaged actively with management to help them monetize non-core royalty and, and, and my property assets. And we raised over 20 million bucks uh, with our assistance. So you know, we're, we're doing what we can to optimize the value of these things. So I, I get it. The market's going to say, well, that's all nice, but you know, show me the money. So I'm just saying if it comes down to that critical decision that we have probably the next 12 months. How do we get ourselves completely green focused? Uh, the true value of those assets will come into play. Right. And I think people do, people are saying that because it's, it's in, in a way it's kind of binary. It's a book value is, you know, what, whatever you, you, you hope to get for it. But someone's got to come along and either give you the money and say, show, show, show me the money um, or revenue has got to start, start flowing. But, but if it's non-core, it, it, Kind of maybe weakens the argument. Your negotiation starts when you do come to try and monetize it a, a little bit. But so what is what is the core? What's the discussion internally? Is it like, look, even if we achieve, I'm not putting a number on. So even if we achieve, don't achieve what our book value is, that money is best used for the our green initiative, our our you know our, our green strategy because that's where we see the future. Is is that how strongly you feel about the kind of? Greens, the green business model. You know, I spent 30 years as a portfolio manager. The portfolio managers always look at the portfolio and saying, okay, I have this asset here with a return expectation of X. I can sell that and put it into this asset over here with a return expectation of two times X. Do I do that? Absolutely, I do that. 
right? So we're exactly in that position. Do we want to take the return potential on mining assets and forego that in terms of redeploying capital into the green sector with higher return expectations? And even if you're doing that at a, let's say, a lower than book value price, it's still a trade-off of how much capital am I getting? Would it be the return potential over here versus having it sit here and incubate? Okay, okay. So let's 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 talk. Let's in which case let's bounce back to the. So something you are having lots of discussions about. You know how you how you play that. I'm internal, and you'll tell us when you know. Just in terms of some of the other kind of housekeeping that you you guys have been doing with with regenerative uh, regenerative agriculture carbon royalty. Hard to say, um, and their registration process again. Do you think because of the nascent nature of the industry, there is going to have to be sort of tightening of various agreements and contracts as that you've got today? Do you think that those sorts of contracts going forward will work in, in not those ones, but new, the new ones will work more in your favor? Because money is tight at the moment. You've got a bunch of it. What's the best return on capital investment in terms of the way that you deploy that? Yeah, Matt. So let's call it region ag for both of our sake. It's easier to do that versus Please, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the, the announcement that we had on the region ag restructuring was something that we had been working on for a very long time and even longer thinking about this. This was a positive outcome uh, for all parties. So what actually happened? I mean, this was an exercise of um, improving alignment, improving efficiency, improving operational structure between the three parties, ourselves, a new, the large carbon developer, and Locus Ag, the, uh, the probiotic fertilizer company. The structure that we had in, in the past was, was perfectly fine. It was functional. This is just a better structure. So there are really two items here. One of them is more of a housekeeping item, like you said, Matt, where it's not necessarily required to press release, but you know, the program was structured in such a way and the way we've done it now in terms of how we've uh, we've restructured our legal uh, agreements or royalty agreements, it's just an improved structure. And we'll leave it at that. It's de-risked, better oversight, better communication, better workflow. We're all happy about that. The thing that I'm actually very excited about and the thing that I would want to stress to, to investors is that we've improved the royalty itself, the fundamental nature of the royalty. What we used to have before was a proceeds sharing agreement with the, a new, the carbon developer, which is perfectly fine, but it's kind of akin to an MPI royalty in the mining space. And anybody in the mining space would rather have an NSR or even better yet, a gross revenue royalty than an NPI royalty. And that's what we did. We restructured the royalty where now it's truly a top line royalty, the share of gross revenue. So there's no impact from any expenses. We have no exposure there. We get truly the, the top line of the, the carbon program, which is which is wonderful. Uh, we've doubled the term of our royalty as well, just in the process of better alignment and whatnot for no additional capital. Our royalty was a 10-year royalty and is now a 20-year royalty. That's a huge win for us. I'm very proud of that. We have better line sites to the underlying operator, which is Locus I, the fertilizer company. It's much easier to explain, Matt. We've talked about this royalty in the past. Explaining regenerative agriculture or region ag, explaining carbon markets, that's complex enough. I don't need to make it more complicated by explaining the structure of this royalty. I'd rather say it's acres times sequestration rate times carbon price times defined royalty percentage. It's as simple as that, which is very similar to what we do in the in the mining world. So it's a better outcome. Our joint venture partners were not only aware of it, but they were supportive of it. We're all happy here. I mean, at the end of the day, all the parties in this program, us and you, Locus Ag, we all had asks and we all came away with those asks satisfied. So uh, I'm very happy with that. In terms of could that happen later on? 
It absolutely could. I mean, all the time, companies, financiers enter into structures and realize, look, we're two years into 20. Maybe there are ways to improve that and we should improve that. So I'm, I'm very happy that we, we've done such a thing. Okay. So if, if I look at the way, the, the question also um, sort of in there, long rambling question for me but also said what's the best return on capital investor because if i look at your your, your suite of products are there some that you say we're going to double down on these things or do you have the um the view that well actually because it's a nascent industry we've kind of got to mitigate risk and kind of spread it across a bunch of stuff because we don't quite yet know what's going to work so again how, how do you look at the product yeah great question matt so the first point on doubling down, we're doubling down on the business model, not necessarily a particular type of asset, but the business model. When you were talking to Kevin about focusing on, on GreenStar, you have a room of, of professional mining investors that are saying, we're going to move away from mining and focus on this. There's no bias in it. It's just the, the superior business model. So we're doubling down on the business model. In terms of what that actually means, we're going to be focusing on diversifying the portfolio and de-risking it, but we're not diversifying it. Do you, the focus would be on Canada, USA, possibly eventually Europe and, and Australia, but we're always going to be in tier one jurisdiction. So that's always going to be a focus. Did you just say, did you just say diversifying? Yes, it? exactly. Which is what happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the exercise of, de of diversifying that and diversifying it. Um, in terms of project types, it'll be the same thing. You'll see us investing in similar projects, uh, other agriculture projects, forestry projects, um, clean tech opportunities, more technological focus. So you'll see a, 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 a wide range of projects, but always focus on on quality. So yes, diversified in many different ways, but not at the core of the business model. It'll always be the same type of 100% operating margin, top line royalty, tier one jurisdictions, best in class operators, and, and, and top notch joint venture partners. So that's, that's always going to be the same thing. Um, you had asked a comment earlier, or you made a comment earlier, I should say, Matt, about, about pricing and whatnot, just to give you a sense of, of returns and why we want to double down. If I just talk about region ag as one example, the region ag uh, investment, that price model, if we look at when we made the initial investment, we were assuming prices in the $15 per ton range, $15 per carbon credit. And we figured if the price went down to $10 a ton, uh, this would still work very well because the reality is we've originated our share of credits from this program at about a dollar per ton. So that's kind of like our finding cost of a gold ounce. It's a dollar per ton. Uh, and these prices are selling for 20, 30, 40, $50 a ton. So you can imagine the value accretion from doing these kinds of, de of, uh, of deals. Makes sense. Um, I, I'd say I, I, I kind of want to finish off that for me because I'm just conscious of time here. I was just looking at the chart. I mean, the, the chart talks. Okay, you you gone from like just some twenty twenty two to thirty four bucks. Obviously, with with um, the recent investment, they, they've given you that value. The rest of the market, not yet. So, what's it? What do you want people to look at? Why should they value you differently? And you know, what's going to make that kind of big step change for you in terms of people's perception of what you're going to be capable of doing? Where do we focus, Kevin? Do you want to start on that, and then I can add on. Yeah, look, I would focus on the quality of the team. Uh, we've been doing this sort of thing for a long time. We've had some hiccups on the mining side that we're working to overcoming. We're innovating on the carbon side, and we're innovating uh, with the benefit of experience from the mining sector. We're staying clear of, of, of wonky jurisdictions. Uh, totally North America focus really in the best partners, both on the capital side, on the, on the carbon project development side, uh, on the product side. I think... 
if you look at what's available in the carbon credit space in particular, uh, publicly traded, we don't have any comps. So when we get into the public domain, hopefully in the next 12 months or so, I think we're going to be the only North American focused carbon credit royalty vehicle available. We're going to have excellent free cash flow visibility, excellent partnerships. Our capital structure is uh, pristine. You know, in, in Green Star Roads at the moment, there are no warrants, no RSUs, no derivatives of any kind, no founder stock. We pay the same price as management to make equal, equal paid. This is the cleanest structure we could possibly put together. And we did that because that's how we do business. We're, we're very focused on governance. So I think the product, when it gets in the public domain, more accessible, more understandable, research behind it, uh, is, is going to be a premium product. That's why I think people should focus on Matt, just to expand on that, I'll, I'll double down on what Kevin just said. I don't think we need investors to, to necessarily believe in, in what we're saying. Believe Agnico, believe Synovus. We have two major corporates that have both supported this business model. So I think that itself is worth a significant amount. As we look to raise capital for, for a green star in the future, uh, from an investor's pr perspective, they have the benefit of piggybacking on Synovus just a month ago, right? All the diligence has been done over a 10-month period. Their diligence team was arguably larger than our own team. I mean, this was a serious exercise. Uh, price has been set, valuation has been set, and then you've got the major reputation of a sophisticated player like Synovus coming in on the back of Agnico. So you know, we've, we've demonstrated the business value twice over uh, at two different valuations. So I think that's something that investors can can follow. And to be honest, any company that one of these partners would be absolutely thrilled, but we've got two of them. 